In this Q&A episode of the Physiology and Behaviour Show, I speak with Belinda Poole, who is about to complete her first meta-analysis. We talk about publishing a protocol for your meta-analysis, randomly checking data extraction for mistakes, and using the free Jamovi software as a stepping stone to using R. Hope you enjoy it. Walk me through what you're doing with your meta-analysis. Sure. So um, at the moment, I'm looking at um, working memory in kids with epilepsy. So the meta-analysis is um, essentially looking at different working memory components um, and how they um, are impacted by different types of epilepsy. So frontal lobe epilepsy, um, temporal lobe epilepsy, occipital lobe, or generalized epilepsy. Um, And just seeing what what impact, I guess, the sightful side of seizure focus um, and what impacts that might have on the different components of working memory. Yeah, and it, it sounds like there's quite a few studies out there lo- looking at these, um, looking at these sort of things. Yeah, it tends to be kind of like a, a side variable. Like, so um, usually in a cognitive battery, um, when they're looking at all different things like um, IQ and whatnot, there's always a working memory score in there somewhere. Um, so it might not be the focus of the papers that are out there, but there's certainly yeah data. Um, so I've got about I think 52 included in my meta analysis, um, and I had to exclude over 40 just because they didn't um, specify the different working memory components. They kind of just did it as a composite score. Um, so yeah, definitely lots of um, data out there in epilepsy at least. Well, that actually works to your favour that it's mm. um, that it's not really a, a focal outcome because it's quite typically when you have um, uh, data from a focal outcome, you got mm. a much higher risk of publication bias. Um, yes. But um, because it's a non-focal outcome, then there's less likely to be a risk of publication bias there. Oh, so this okay. is actually it makes it yeah. some, sometimes it makes it a bit more difficult to extract your data, which I'm probably sure you're finding. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, it, it, it works out. It works out well for, um, okay. for at least at least reducing the risk of publication bias a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but um, yeah, certainly it's generally buried in there. It's been like a supplemental table or something like that. So it's been a bit hard to find. But um, yeah, it's a good point that um, they tend to be. Yeah, there's lots of um, non-significant studies in there or like um, differences between epilepsy and controls in the study. So it's a good sign that it's not. Yeah, published for that reason. Yeah, mm. and uh, what sort of challenges have you come across doing doing the meta analysis? Um, uh, heterogeneity is the biggest one. Um, so because epilepsy is quite varied. Um, with the whole composite scores, if I'm looking at, say, the phonological loop um, across all epilepsy, it's just so varied just because it's just, I mean, epilepsy itself is so complicated. Um, so that's mm. the biggest thing that's come out. So I've tried to do um, outlier analyses and, um, oh, what else have I done? Um, but I think the biggest thing is just the subgroup analyses. So just actually grouping um, them by epilepsy has kind of helped um, just to make it a little bit more cleaner um, in terms of all the different outcomes. But even within all the epilepsy groups, there's still a little bit of variability just because um, sometimes it might be secondary generalised seizures or it could be um, uh, one type of epilepsy um, might have high, more seizures um, than another, another type. So it's, it's kind of harder to compare across groups, but at least within each group um, it's, it seems to show, um, it seems to be, I guess, uh, makes more sense within each subgroup rather than looking at it as a whole, um, which is just, I guess, the nature of yeah, the disorder. Yeah, yeah. Quite, quite mm. often you can get that with um. Uh, it, it can be hard to sort of do all these subgroupings, and uh, you'll 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 end up submitting submitting it for publication, and reviewers will tell you, ah, oh, you know, mm. have, you, have you tried doing these groups and that groups? But it can get it can get yeah. a bit um a bit um, muddled up sometimes. Yeah, 
Yeah, certainly. Um, but no, I think at least at the subgroup level, it, um, it looks pretty good, I think. <laughs> um, although it's yeah, been hard to, I guess, categorise and, and separate studies out and what goes in and what goes out. Um, so it's kind of been a bit of a nightmare <laughs> the past year yeah. um, trying to do that. But I mean, hopefully it's, yeah, it makes sense the way it's done now. Yeah. Yeah. No, nice. And I think, um, I mean, obviously, the in your case, the the, the horse is bolded a bit, but in in some circumstances, for mm. future meta analyses, sure. one thing that can really help is um is is, is publishing a, a a protocol of meta analysis, mm. um, and then you can actually get reviewers to 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 review your protocol, yeah. and then they'll tell you, ah, oh, well, um, you know, this this sort of subgrouping doesn't make sense, or this does make sense. Um, and then you can actually have some guidance in that sense. Um, mm. So that that, that 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 that's that's one consideration. But I mean, in your case, it's a little bit too late. Yeah. Um, but uh, perhaps perhaps for future meta analyses. Yeah, I certainly did pre-register it um, with Prospero, so I had a um, I guess a broad oh, cool. aim of how it could do. But like even the pre- the pre-registration wasn't that detailed anyway. So it um mm-hmm. it, it definitely still matches on to what I said I would do at the outset. Um, but it's a lot more complicated. Once you go into it, so I guess having reviewers or having other people look into it or actually give feedback was probably the, would be the added bonus because um, I think it, the way it's set up, it's not no one can comment on it or anything like that. It's just a, um, a, a registration that's out there. But I know that with like Open Science Framework, having people actually comment on it probably would have been helpful. Um, yeah. Or just to even anticipate what um, what some of the issues that might come up. Um, which yeah, the, the pre-registration that I did wasn't yeah detailed enough to really think that through at the start. Oh, I mean, it's, it's always it's so hard to anticipate what mm, you're going to do, yeah. um, or what's going to happen, or what, what's the, what studies come across. So, when it comes to your main publication, it's just a matter of defining. Okay, well, yeah. this is this is what we this is what we pre-specified, yep. and this is this is how it was changed, and this is why we changed it. And I think that's totally fine. Yeah, and I mean, it's I don't I don't see that many studies that are actually pre-registered. So the fact that you're doing this is a real real big strength that um, hopefully good, your reviewers yeah. will recognise as well. Yeah, good. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's certainly something I'm, I'm really passionate about. So, um, yeah, made sure I did that. <laughs> um, for oh, this study. Nice, yeah. Nice. yeah, and I guess the only other thing, uh, because it is such a huge study um, with so many p-values and so many um, outcomes, the one thing that I'm terrified of, like I think I've done a lot of procrastination with this meta-analysis as well, um, just because I've been so <laughs> anxious about the fact that I've done something wrong, um, is whether or not there's a way to actually check um, to see if the results – are correct what sort of things in particular are you, are you worried about that you have made a mistake with um well i guess that's the thing with anxiety it's not really based in logic it's just, <laughs> it's just <laughs> um i'm sure it's all fine um like i've been very careful and i've checked things a lot of times just to make sure that the data is entered correctly and all the signs are the right way and whatever else um but i know like yeah. um, i've heard i think in podcasts before there's some sort of programs out there that um, you can enter data like a p-value or something in and it can actually check to see if that's right. I don't know if that applies to a meta-analysis or if that's just more experimental research. Ooh, um, that's a really that, – yeah, because that, that sort of stuff, what you're referring to there is um, mm, stat check, which, which is developed okay. by Michelle Norton. And um, as far as I know, it only works with um, F statistics and T statistics uh. and Pearson's R correlations. So, you can see those consistencies there. Mm. Um, but um, when it comes to- Because you're using comprehensive meta-analysis for your I analysis, am. aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it- Unfortunately, I mean, the implementation of some sort of stat check for meta-analysis actually wouldn't be that tricky. Because- okay. um, um, Oh, actually, no. You know what? I think it might actually work. Um, 
try anyway. Try putting your your manuscript through stat check, and okay. um and see if it if it plucks out any of the statistics. I'm not sure if it will, but it's it, it's worth giving it a shot. Um, but mm. when it comes to actually entering entering data right, one strategy that that that, that I do is I randomly pick um maybe ten to twenty percent of the studies and send the papers to a co-author and ask them can you can you can you extract the data and um to see if there's any consistency there if it's all consistent with those 20 percent of the papers then then we're good to go and then you can even report that in the paper mm. but if there's some inconsistencies then maybe you need to actually expand it to say 50 percent sure. just to figure out um whether there's any differences there um that's that that that's one way of doing it because mm. i think the biggest one of the biggest sources of error is actually just picking out the wrong yes. statistics yeah yeah um which is so which is so easy oh, to do is, because yeah. quite often papers are <laughs> oh it's crazy yeah. and i know there are there are some people that um i've even seen some meta-analyses where people will highlight where in the paper they extracted the statistics and actually upload them as screenshots as a supplementary material so people can so the reader can actually go through i think i think it's great oh, like okay. it, it take, takes a bit of work yeah it takes a bit of work but what what it means is that other people can actually, in one sense, re- reproduce what you're doing. Um, and I think the other thing that you mentioned as well is checking the sign. Like that's yes. such a massive error that people make. <laughs> that people make sometimes. Um, so other, one way of checking that is just, um, and you've probably already done this, is just eyeballing the um, the forest plot because you can sort yes. of see this. And eyeballing the forest plot, you can go, oh, hang on a minute, a hedge is g of two. That's a bit weird, mm. and you can sort of spot those. And quite often, when you actually get the um, a really really big um, effect size, it's because you've entered and mixed up standard deviation, standard error. That's a really common error uh, that yeah. I see when yeah. reviewing meta-analyses mm. um and then you can if you've got a good idea of the literature and you can say hang on a minute why is this effect opposite um that might be because this, the sign was ended incorrectly so that that's one really good yeah. way of doing it um and uh yeah so the, you, you can pick up errors those ways because you never know mm. quite often there's a very good chance that one of the reviewers of your paper will be one of the one of the authors of the studies that you included yeah so that they're going to know very well the outcome <laughs> of their study and yeah. if they know hang on a minute this study's wrong and it's probably them yeah i can <laughs> so i can probably um yeah have a think about that i mean it's certainly my supervisor i'm grateful that she actually to check my forest plot and she kind of picked out things that seemed odd um, for me to uh-huh. double check, which all seemed okay. Um, okay. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I've, I've definitely, like, randomly just checked um, studies, uh, but it kind of thinks, like, at what point to just say, okay, I think it's all good, um, instead of just kept going back <laughs> and, and just rechecking and making sure that – because there's lots of outliers in this study and there's lots of um, strange results, um, but it all seems legit. So um, it's just okay. about leaving them in and just being okay that they're in there. Um <laughs> Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, as as long as you've checked them and the numbers yeah. are okay, um, it's all it's also worth double checking um, whether your outcomes remain the same if you include um, or remove certain outliers because yes. you just want to make sure your result doesn't hang off of one study yeah. that happens to have a, a massive effect size for some reason or another. Yeah, no. So I've done that, and that's in the paper. So um, yeah, removing that outlier and it's not, not hasn't changed too much, um, which is good. Okay, okay. Um, but I like the idea of yeah, copy it like shotting the, the paper with the information because that would even just be easy for me just to go back and check instead of got reopening for sure. over and over um if i did that from the start um, that would have been yeah a nice way to kind of yeah check them and then um how are you going about um having a look at um a small study bias or publication bias so i'm assuming you, you you're plotting your um your final plots and yes um yeah so 
Um, I probably need to read into that a little bit more just to make sure that I've done the right thing. So what I've done um, is, um, yeah, check the final plots. Um, again, because um, the population is so varied, um, it's hard to um, – it's kind of like outliers on both sides, so it's not showing like you know, significant effects. As um, for some, it seems like sometimes of epilepsy actually um, don't do too badly with working memory, so they kind of drag the mean the other way as well. The only odd thing that came okay. out was um, so I, I, there was one uh, measure where I had significant publication bias um, for one of the working memory measures. I did a Duval and Tweedy's trim and fill procedure, um, and it actually increased the effect size. Um, by doing that, which I just thought was really odd. Um, so it adjusted values for 13 studies and then the effect okay. size went up and it was still significant, um, which I haven't seen before. So it yeah. seems wrong. <laughs> um, that, that's yeah, so that's I'm interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely trimmed to the left of the mean and that kind of thing and the effect size has gone up. Um, so I don't know if it's okay. maybe yeah, the wrong it's- test for that type of publication bias yeah yeah i mean it, it it's a good way of it, it's it's it should be looked at more as a, um, a sensitivity test to see um because mm. it's not probably it, it, it i don't think it should ever be used as a way of actually replacing um because you, you're inferring studies that aren't there um yes so it's just it's just one way of saying well if if we were to run this procedure there isn't much of a difference. I, I see a lot of papers that actually use this and they find publication bias mm. and then they run uh, trim and fill and then they actually use that trim and fill outcome as well. Here's evidence that there's um, that accounting for publication bias. Um, there's no effect there. But, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't put too too much stock into the trim and fill, but more more just as a supplementary, hey, we, we, we tried this. And um and this is what we found. Okay. Um. But yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the, but the but the fact is, at least in your case, you it didn't it didn't change the um the outcome at all. But mm. it's more important that you're actually firstly plotting the funnel plot so people can actually see how things lie. Um, okay. But also just running um running Egger's regression test just to see um you know is there actual any 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 asymmetry in this thing? But it's also it's also it's also really important to. Um, mentioned the difference between uh, small study bias mm. and publication bias because because quite often uh, funnel plot uh, funnel plot asymmetry is, is more is, is better explained by small study bias or things that can contribute to small study bias. So right. technically, when you're reporting those things, it, it's it's more it's technically correct to to refer to refer to a small study bias, which can include publication bias. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean there there are other there are other ways. That you can specifically test for publication bias. Okay. Um, there is an uh, online app called P P Uniform, mm-hmm. um, and um, it comes as an R package, but it also comes as a um, as an app online. And so you enter in your. I mean, it it only takes certain types of effect sizes. I believe it takes T tests, Pearson's R, and something else. So if you're mm-hmm. Types of effects fit those things. You can actually put it in to P uniform. And this, um, rather, whereas a Eggers regression test or a funnel plot specifically looks at small study bias, um, the P, P uniform actually looks at publication bias and it'll tell you your, um, your, your risk of, of, of publication bias okay. in, in this case. So I would have a quick look at that yeah. and see. I mean, it's, it, it's an online app. You basically just enter in your values. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it'll give you a, a, a better idea. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good to know. Um, yeah, certainly um, 
the other thing that came to me about this meta-analysis is because a lot of studies have different multiple outcomes um, in working memory, so they'll have a measure of the phonological loop and the um, central executive, what not, but they only have one control group. Um, so the way that I um, ah. compensated for that is to um, divide the control group um, across the different measures, which has actually um, reduced the power down. So with each study, um, yeah, it's, it's actually probably going to be lots of small study kind of effects there potentially because I've done that to compensate. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, that's always tricky when you when you have those um, effect size dependencies. Mm. Um, there are various ways to account for that. I'm not quite sure um, what sort of things are included within um, comprehensive meta analysis to do that. Okay, um, but there there are certainly various options w- within R to actually account for um uh, for for effect size dependency. But yeah, because if they're mm. using the same control group, uh, mm. and the other thing to consider is um e- even if it's the same um the same patient group, if if there are if it's the same patient group, but you're looking at three different outcomes um if you if you're including all of these um within the same meta-analysis then you definitely have to account for it but if you're say if you're doing three separate meta-analyses um then there's no dependency there um, yeah. so yeah there's, there's a few things to consider and you also have to think about um a cor- correction for, mul- for multiple tests um so i mean mm. th- th- it's, it's hard though because there, there are no h- hard and fast rules so say you're doing three different meta-analyses um looking at three different outcomes and one thing to consider is well um, are, are my effects still significant if I do do some sort of correction for for, for multiple outcomes? But yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know the literature better. Mm. Um, um, but I mean, it, it could, if you can do it, it could it could strengthen your outcome. So you know, if you had sort of three outcomes, three main outcomes, and they're all hovering around 0.04, then yeah. you know, you might go, hang hang on a minute. <laughs> but I mean, if they're all if they're all pretty if they're all pretty um uh, if the p values are all uh, you know less than point zero zero one then it's not gonna it's not gonna be a concern but it's just something to think about sure yeah um yeah and certainly something that i wasn't expecting going into it so all these sort of little things pop up you just yeah yeah oh yeah it all it always it always happens people are like oh meta-analysis it's easy I'm oh, like, no, no it's not it's, 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 it's hard work <laughs> for sure um and so many people in my cohort have um sort of embarked on meta-analysis because we have to as part of our degree um oh really so, yeah oh, go see go see the uni it yeah. wasn't there when i was there yeah, I think it's the combined- People told me I was nuts when I was doing my meta-analysis. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe the, the straight PhDs would think that, um, but the combined masters and um, PhDs, because we need to submit research as part of the master's cohort, the easiest thing to do is just to do a meta-analysis. Oh, uh, um, okay, yeah. That, so, that makes, that done makes that. sense. Um, but in a way, it kind of ends up being the blind leading the blind because I'm helping people when I'm still learning all these sort of things as well. Uh, and just, <laughs> it's kind of awkward, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think we've all tried our best just to, yeah, kind of get that done. But yeah, so no, a lot of us have done meta-analyses. Um, so yeah, hopefully you, they're all. Yeah. Do you think? Do you, do you think you'll do another one in the future? Now that you've now that you've done one, it's actually planned in my PhD. So um, I knew from the hey. outset that I was doing two, um, but I know this second one will hopefully won't take as long, um, and I can yeah, oh, yeah. D- definitely plan a little better around it. So um, no, the second if, I might if, if you are learn R perhaps for the second yes. one, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I would. Ah, uh, it's. For me, doing meta analysis was like the gateway drug for R. Okay. Um, the 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 one main package within R, which is called um, Metaphor, mm. is the documentation online is like for a lot of R packages, the documentation is so hard and it's mm. really hard to actually follow what to do. But with Metaphor, the documentation is like there are so many tutorials, so many examples, so much e- example data. 
um, that it is actually one of the best ways to start with R. Okay. Um, the other thing to look at as well is, um, um, have you heard of Jamovi, that free point-and-click sort of SPSS re- replacement yes. software? Yes, yes, I have heard of it, yeah. There, there is a, uh, a metaphor module written by a bloke called Kyle. <laughs> I, forget the, I forget the rest of his name. Oh, yeah. Kyle Hamilton, that's his name. So, what it is, it's basically a wrapper for metaphor. So, you can actually do your meta-analysis within Jamovi, and then you can output the metaphor R script. So, you can do your point and click, and then you can, you can actually get your R script, and then you can put that R script within R. So, if you're not really sure mm. how to do it, doing- Meta-analysis within Jamovi is actually a really good start because then you can go through. Um, it has, I mean, metaphor, it can be really simple or you can actually do really complex designs, which is its strength. But with, within um, within Jamovi, you can actually do pretty straightforward stuff. You can do plotting, you can do forest plots, you can do regression tests. And um, it's a great way to start. So, you can actually run your stuff there, do it within R. And then if you need to do some small tweaks, you can do that. Um and then there's, there's fantastic resources online. The R mailing list has um, uh, has answers to most most questions. Um, and then, um, but um, but de- definitely the, the metaphor documentation is really good. Um, there's a lot of papers out there. Um, I've written a tutorial paper on how to how to do this within for for, for correlational meta analysis as well. So it's definitely definitely worth your time, and it just makes things a lot easier, and it, it just gives you much more flexibility. Than comprehensive meta analysis when it comes to you know doing stuff like um you know effects size dependencies. So uh, I would uh, it's 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 so worth it. And then you it, and then you'll get hooked on R. So yeah. it'll be another another little <laughs> another little bonus there. Yeah. No, there's one thing I realised. I think again with another podcast is that with CMA, um, it's it will always give you that like a like a result at the end of it. Like it doesn't break. It doesn't you know freak out or anything. Yeah. Like yeah. And that's probably one thing that I, like I would like is that if there is something going on wrong that it would break or it would do, let me know that actually you can't um, do it this way. Um, so that's probably yeah yeah a good way to also check to make sure that the the results are entered correctly and things are done right. But yeah. Yeah, it's a good it's a good way of doing it. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, did you have any thoughts of what you're actually going to be doing for your second meta analysis, or that's a bit more in the future? Yeah, no. So, um, so the working memory, um, it was one side. So my actual PhD is looking at math skills and epilepsy, um, and whether or not working okay. memory um, accounts for that. So the next one will just be looking at um, maths, um, and whether there's evidence that um. The different math skills, uh, like you know, like arithmetic or um, problem solving, whatever it might be, is impaired in different types of epilepsy as well. Um, so again, I can foresee um, it'll be another complicated uh, way to classify because <laughs> math skills itself is quite broad, um, and so I'll have to think about that as well before going in. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but hopefully, all the categorizations of the epilepsy side is all sorted. It's just more, I guess. Um, yeah, the different math skills and how to, yeah, classify them and enter that into the system. But it's always yes. it's always tricky. If it was easy, if it was easy, someone else would have done it. That's true. <laughs> um, so so and that's the thing. Like it's, I mean, but then, then again, there there are so many like people like, oh, I have all these ideas, but mm. what really matters is the execution and just sitting down and um and getting the stuff done but it sounds like you've done a great job with the with with the first one oh, and nice. um after you've done your first one well it, it does yeah and after the mm. first one it becomes like easier and yeah. easier and easier and easier i mean it, it, it's always going to be hard work but yeah. when it comes to um doing all this kind of stuff you you, you just pick up on things which which is going to make it easier the um the the, the, the next time 
That's all for today's episode of Physiology and Behavior with Dan Quintana. I hope you liked it. And if you did like it, I would really appreciate it if you were to post a link to the episode on Twitter. My name is at DS Quintana, or you can also post it uh, to Facebook. And you can find me on Facebook as well. Uh, Just check out the links in the show notes. Uh, If you're into video, if you're on Instagram or if you're on YouTube, I also post some of the episodes on those sites there. So check out the show notes. If you have any questions, please let me know. The best way to get into contact is to message me over Twitter via DM at DS Quintana. Bye for now.